the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. Praise to the God who reigns above. Moses had been reminding the nation of Israel that they were to love God supremely with their whole being. They were to continue following the Lord even when they were in the land of promise. Moses knows he will not be entering the land of Canaan with the Israelites. He taught them a song that would remind the people of all that God had done for them. Now, we will see Moses bless the different tribes of the nation out of his love for them. We saw last time that Moses blessed the tribes of Reuben and Levi. We will now see the blessing of Judah as we join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 7. The next blessing is upon Judah. And this is the blessing of Judah. And he said, Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him unto his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and be thou a help to him from his enemies. Judah is Jacob's fourth son through Leah, the fourth oldest of the 12 boys. Because Jacob disqualified Simeon and Levi as well, this tribe is the one that received the blessing of leading the nation. This would be the kingly tribe. And of course, David comes from this tribe. Jesus comes from this tribe. And the first request that Moses makes here is that the Lord would hear his requests, that the Lord would hear the prayers of Judah. As the ruling tribe, they were going to need God's supernatural help to do a good job of leading. This therefore implies that a leader needs to dedicate themselves to prayer, to asking God for help regularly. Listen, you cannot be a good husband, a good parent, a good boss, a good leader in any area of society if you go at it in your own strength and your own wisdom. Good leaders are humble men and women. That's just the truth. Good leaders are humble men and women. Now, secondly, he prays, he asks that God will bless them this way. He says, bring him unto his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him. Be thou a help to him from his enemies. The phrase there to be sufficient means, Lord, you go out and fight for him. You contend for him. She has the ruling tribe. Judah was to lead the nation against their enemies. So Moses' second request is that God would fight their battles and bring them home safely, bring them back to their people. If you're a leader, you're not to throw other people in front of you as cannon fodder. That's not the job to cast out other people in front of you so they can get hit by the hardest shots. You are to stand in the gap against the enemy and proclaim, if you want my kids, you have to go through me. You want my marriage, you have to go through me. You want to get, get involved in, in my employees' lives, you got to go through me because I'm going to stand in the gap for them. I think one of the biggest challenges that men face today is the fact that society seems to want to erase the idea of good masculinity. It's funny, we read books like, you know, 1984 and whatever, and people are going, oh, scary stuff. And then what does our society try to do? Make everybody into automatons, everybody the same. Doesn't matter what gender you are, we won't even call it gender anymore. We're just all the same. You can be whatever you want. What does it say? Righteousness falls without a whimper, without any complaint. 
as leaders, men, you know, in your families, your marriages. I think because sometimes we get bombarded with this all the time, we get the idea that either being a leader is either laying down the law and just being a forceful tyrant, or it means you just need to back off and do nothing. And I find frequently, I'll hear this from men, and they'll say, well, if I do that, my wife, okay. I've never been in the military. I could not imagine, though, if your commanding officer said, uh, go take the hill. And he said, yeah, but, you know, there, there's this guy up there, and he's, you know, who? Have you met the people up there on that hill, man? They're crazy. I don't think they'll go for it. Trust the Lord. I understand it's easy to abdicate because you don't want to rock the boat. But when you do that, who's standing in the gap for your family? No one. That means the enemy can come and plow right through. So you've got to say, whether my family follows me or not, whether my wife follows me, whether my kids follow me or not, you've got to say, devil, if you want them, you've got to come through me. I won't stop praying. I won't stop loving them. I won't stop trying to lead them, even when I fail, even when I fail. Now, the next tribe he blesses is Levi. Verse 8, he actually has a long blessing here, verses 8 through 11 for Levi. And of Levi, he said, Thy umim and thy thurim be with thy holy one, whom you did prove at Massa, and with whom you did strive at the waters of Meribah. He said unto his father and to his mother, I have not seen him, neither did he acknowledge his brethren, nor knew his own children, for they have observed thy word and kept thy covenant. Here we see the first thing that Moses prays for them is that God would bless them spiritually. Levi was Jacob's third son through Leah. And as I said earlier, Jacob disqualified him from leading the family. His reason was not Reuben's reason. His reason was because him and his brother Simeon were violent boys. They were just violent men. When their sister Dinah was raped, and I understand being angry about that and wanting to do something, it wasn't so much that they did something about it that bothered their dad. What bothered their dad is the trickery that they did it with and the cruelty with which they executed it, how they murdered an entire city over it. You can't murder an entire city with just two people. This isn't like the Avengers gone bad, okay? They obviously rallied their family members. They obviously rallied other people. They led people to this cruel action. And so Jacob goes, I can't have you two lead in the family. Now, what's interesting, though, is Moses now reflects on God's grace in making them spiritual leaders, not ruling, but spiritual leaders in Israel. And he says, King James says, let thy thummim and thy urim be with thy holy one. That's a bad translation. There's no let there. It's a statement. Thy thummim and thy urim are with thy holy ones. The word their holy one, it means faithful ones, those who love God. Now, you might be going, what's a thumim and an umim? I think I may have had one of those times, but the doctor took care of it. We don't know exactly what they were. We just know that the the high priest used them um, to determine what God's will was. And so the best guess is that they were stones, a white stone, a black stone, or whatever. And they'd pull one stone out, and that would mean yes, and the other stone would mean no. We don't know for sure, but that's the general idea. I can tell you for sure what they are not. They were not a pair of magical glasses as claimed by Joseph Smith. I can tell you that. But these things, the idea is it speaks to the priesthood here. Basically, Moses is saying, this is the role you have now. You guys are the spiritual leaders in the community. And in light of that, he says, you know, why did God give you that privilege? Why did he make your tribe the priestly tribe? Because originally that wasn't going to be the case. Originally it was going to be every firstborn from every tribe was going to be the priests. But something happened that changed that. Moses explains here. It says, whom you, God, did prove at Massa and with whom you did strive at the waters of Meribah. I'll get to that in a minute. 
But scripturally, what tells us was the thing that changed the way God was going to do it is when they made the golden calf. When Israel sinned by worshiping the golden calf at Sinai, Moses came down the mountain into the midst of their wicked party and he cried out, who's on the Lord's side? And the only people that answered Moses' call were the tribe of Levi. As such, God gave them the special privilege as the spiritual leaders, the priests. So what's this mention of Masa and Meribah? Well, Masa and Meribah are two completely different stories. These were two incidents where God judged the people because of their complaints against their spiritual leaders. See, it was here that their heart was shown in their role towards the people. Because when it would have been very easy at that point to go, you know what, this whole leadership thing, I'm out. (laughs) These people aren't grateful for anything. They whine and complain about everything. I don't have it in my power to create water. I don't have it in my power to create food. And yet they didn't bail. They remained faithful, holy ones. And that's because they put the Lord first. Verse nine, this is what God tested them with. The word prove, it means to examine, to learn the true nature of something. He called them to it, but they proved that their heart was in it, that the Lord was first in how they handled these situations. Because they said unto their father and mother, I have not seen him. Neither did they acknowledge their brethren, nor did they know their own children. For why? They decided to observe God's word and to keep God's covenant. That echoes something that Jesus said, doesn't it? In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, the Lord says there, he goes, if you don't hate your father, mother, sister, brother, wife, all that kind of stuff compared to your love for me. He said, you cannot be my disciple. If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, of course, it's not that I hate my family and friends. It's that my loyalty to God is so much greater than the loyalty I would have to anyone else. Now, I need to point out something very important. Never use that teaching of Jesus to disobey God's clear commands to you as a child or as a parent or as a spouse. Too many times I hear Christians claim they're following God by leaving their spouse for a ministry or ignoring their kids because of ministry, and that is an abomination before God. I've always wondered, God, why do you use us? Like, it's terribly inefficient. I mean, seriously, I worked for the government and I never dream why anyone wants anything in the government's hands. It's one of the reasons I tend to lean more conservative because I've seen how the government works and it's not efficient at all. It's like you have extra people to watch over the extra people that you hired extra people with. And it's all so you don't get your rear end in trouble when something goes down because someone's going to be the scapegoat because it certainly isn't going to be an elected official. So they're going to find somebody to blame. So you want to make sure, well, you're not the one. So you create these three layers of padding to insulate yourself. And so you've got this massive, huge hulk of of something and nothing ever gets done. I find frequently that the body of Christ can be like that. If we do this, we'll upset this group. If we do this, we'll upset this group. And you think, Lord, we are terribly inefficient. Why do you use us? Truth is, it'd be a lot easier for Jesus to get his work done without us. But there's this one little sticking point to that idea. See, we are his bride. We're his bride. And he remains with us even when we aren't following the Lord. To those Christians who are contemplating leaving the gospel in the book of Hebrews, filled with tons of warning, warning after warning after warning, don't leave the faith, don't leave Christ. There's no help anywhere else. Christ loves you, don't leave this. To all those people that were contemplating that, at the very end of Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, five, at the end he says, for the Lord has said, I will never leave thee. I will never 
forsake thee. He didn't say that to the Ephesians. Like you read the book of Ephesians, no complaints about them. It's like, an, it's an awesome book. You read through it and you go, oh, I want to be that kind of Christian because Paul had nothing negative to say about him. But Hebrews, that's a rough letter. A people who are done, ready to abandon the Lord. And to them, he gives that promise. I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. Isn't that awesome? We're his bride. He didn't choose us because we're efficient. He didn't pick us because, well, I'll get my job done, my work done really well because of them being on the team. No, it's because we're his bride and he set his love upon us. So don't ever leave your bride behind to do God's work. I can guarantee it's not God's work you're doing. Because Levi passed these tests time and time again. God gave them an amazing privilege. And as a result, they would need God's help. It says in verse 10, they shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They'll put incense before you, God, and whole burnt sacrifice upon your altar. They're gonna be busy doing your work. So verse 11, here's his request. Bless, Lord, his substance and accept the work of his hands and smite through the loins of them that rise against him and of them that hate him that they rise not again. So anytime, you know, you've got an enemy at work, just pray that God smites him through the loins. I like some Old Testament prayers. The idea here is because their lives were dedicated to teaching God's word and directing Israel's worship that they wouldn't have time to provide for their families through additional work. And so Moses' prayer of blessing for them is along those lines. Lord, bless their substance. The word their substance means wealth, physical strength. Lord, prosper them practically. Take care of their needs. Cause them to, to be doing well financially, even though they can't work outside of serving you. And then he says, Lord, accept the work of his hands. Be pleased and satisfied with his ministry to you and protect him from enemies, from violent men. Isn't that an interesting thought. Levi was a violent man and now Moses prays for their protection from violent people. What a turnaround. That brings great hope to me because it means God can turn my life around if I'll make him my first loyalty too. Well, next in verse 12, we come to Benjamin. And of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety near him and the Lord shall cover him all the day long and he shall dwell between his shoulders. This is, of course, Jacob's second son through Rachel, the wife that he really loved. He was the baby of the family, always treated with special treatment. And so here, Moses reminds the tribe of Benjamin that it's not just your beloved of your family, but your beloved of the Lord. The word beloved means someone who's not just loved, but dearly loved. God is certainly no respecter of persons, so he doesn't have favorites. But you know what I love about the Lord? He treats all of us like we are his favorite. He treats all of us like we're his favorite. And Moses wanted Benjamin to know that. He's gonna shield you. He's gonna cover you, he says, all the day long. And here's a cool part. He shall dwell between his shoulders. Benjamin will dwell on his shoulders is what that means, like a dad carrying his kid, like carrying his kid piggyback or on his shoulders. It's funny, my kids were always a little skittish, so they didn't like being on my shoulders. They get up there and then it was like hanging all over my face, pulling you know ears off and stuff because they're worried they're gonna fall. But when I was a kid, there wasn't a better place I'd rather be than on my dad's shoulders. When I was on my dad's shoulders, I knew that nothing could get me because my dad was a, he was a man. No one was going to hurt me because they'd have to get through my daddy to get to me. And I think that's what Moses is praying for them, that they would know that their heavenly father protected them. Anybody wanted to get to them, they had to go through their daddy. And thus, it's kind of cool, this is where the prophecy element comes in. One of the smallest tribes in Israel became their most fierce and most confident warriors. We'll get to this in Judges at some point in, you know, 2037. 
But Israel has to deal with some sin in the tribe of Benjamin. And it takes literally every other tribe to barely defeat them. Because that's how confident, that's how strong these guys were. So they knew that their father protected them. Do you know that your heavenly father protects you? And we of all people should feel a sense of security no matter what's going on around us. Joseph's next, verses 13 through 17. And of Joseph, he said, Blessed of the Lord be his land for the precious things of heaven, for the dew and for the deep or the springs that hide beneath the ground and for the precious fruits brought forth by the sun and for the precious things put forth by the moon and for the chief things of the ancient mountains and for the precious things of the lasting hills. And for the precious things of the earth and the fullness thereof, and for the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush, let the blessing come upon the head of Joseph and upon the top of the head of him that was separated from his brethren. Joseph, of course, is Jacob's first son through Rachel, the wife he loved, and the one who received the double portion from Jacob. Even though it's interesting, Jacob did a weird thing. He gave the the leadership, the, the headship to Judah, but he gave the double blessing to Joseph. What the double blessing meant is that he elevated Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to brother status. So Manasseh and Ephraim, rather than being divided through Joseph, would have equal status with one of Joseph's brothers. So that's why you see the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim and no tribe of Joseph per se. The tribe of Joseph will be mentioned every once in a while, like here, but ideally they're usually referred to as either Manasseh or Ephraim because they were their own tribes. These two tribes, Moses blesses them with a prosperous agriculture. When you see the words chief, precious, choice, they're repeated time and time again in these verses. They all refer to the best of something. So your mountains, they're going to be the best. You know, your valleys, they're going to be the best. Your springs, they're going to be the best. And I love at the end here, he says, all this will happen because of the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush. Who's the one that dwelt in a bush? Well, the only one I can think of is the bush that burned, right? That Moses found. That's interesting. Because of the goodwill, which is, that's the word for grace, the favor, the grace of the one who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. When we think about the burning bush, we don't usually think of grace, do we? Moses is horrified, right? He's terrified. Comes up and the Lord's like, take your sandals off your feet for the place you stand on now is holy ground. Oh, he was curious. But when he got close, he thought to himself, what have I gotten myself into, right? This was a, not exactly a comforting experience for Moses. It was holy ground. And God who is holy dwells in unapproachable light. None of us can even dream of coming close to him by our own righteousness. That's why he said, take your shoes off your feet for your unholy ground. But here's the cool part. That same holy God, he invited Moses to come close because he heard the cries of his suffering people. See, that God who is perfect and holy, he is also gracious and he loves to call us close. He loves to call us near. That's why Hebrews 4.16 says, therefore, in light of the fact that we have this awesome high priest, Jesus, who's done all this work for us, it says, Let us come boldly before what? Those are two interesting words juxtaposed. Throne and grace. A throne, usually you don't think of grace. You think of rule. You think of authority. You think of majesty. You think of someone who's in charge. You think of a place you don't deserve to be. And yet he reminds us it's a throne of gifting. It's a throne of blessing. It's a throne of help. Let us come boldly before his throne of grace. Why? So we can find grace and mercy to help 
in our time of need. You know, when we go before his throne of grace, we can never forget it's a throne. We're on holy ground. We're coming before the king. But we are before the holy king, the holy perfect king who wants us to be there, who wants to help us, who wants to give us whatever it is we need to move forward. And so he says, that God who gives great grace, he's gonna prosper you. He's gonna bless you agriculturally with all your land. It's gonna be awesome. The land that the two tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim that they settled in, it's the richest part of that whole area. When you go there, it's the greenest part. It's the part that it's got these beautiful hills everywhere. It's the, it's the choicest area that you'd want to be. That's why it's being fought over right now. That's part of the contended territory, the West Bank area. Next in verse 17, we see a second blessing though. He says, his glory is like the firstling of his block. You know, every, anytime your son's discouraged, just tell him that. That'll cheer him up, right? Your glory is like the firstling of his bullock. His horns are like the horns of unicorns. The Bible doesn't believe in unicorns. It's a reference to the aurochs, a long extinct ancestor to domesticated cattle. These were big, huge beasts of burden that had these massive horns. They were considered like the king of the, the cattle. He says, his glory is like the firstling of his bullock. His horns are like the horns of that oryx.'" And with those, he shall push the people together. In other words, gore them. He will, he will just thrash them to the ends of the earth. And who are they? Well, they're the 10,000s of Ephraim and they are the thousands of Manasseh. These two tribes, they became the most numerous of all the tribes, Ephraim being the largest of all. In fact, when the kingdom split into north and south, the northern kingdom, a lot of times is just called Ephraim because that was the predominant tribe there. The Lord says, not only are you going to be prospered agriculturally, but you will be prospered militarily. Ephesians chapter one, verse three, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. These are just a few of God's blessings. You know, and as you read through the word, I mean, I hope you were encouraged by some of these things tonight. And as you read through God's word, you'll see so many more. It's another reason why it's important to be in his word every day. So, Lord, will you help us to see the value, the prized possession that is your word, given to us in your love, given to us with the intent that you'll rule our lives, keeping us out of plenty of trouble, Lord, protecting us better than we can protect ourselves, Lord, blessing us better than we could bless ourselves. And then as we do so, Lord, show us the glories of your blessings, Lord, the glories of your grace, which you've said you're gonna be showing to us for all eternity. Give us a glimpse, Lord, into the height, the length, the depth, the breadth of your love, which passes knowledge. Lord, that we might love you more in return. Thank you so much for all the blessings you've given to us. Lord, thank you for Jesus, who makes it possible for you to bless us now that we're clothed in his righteousness. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God delights in restoring his people. He gladly chose to suffer and die in our place so that we would have free access to His throne room of grace. He will never turn us away. Even when we have completely and utterly failed, God is merciful and faithful to us. We do not have to be afraid of returning to Him. He is always there with open arms waiting for us to return. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando 
at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.